Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey folks, Dr. Tim Jordan back here with my podcast, Raising Daughters, and I appreciate you stopping by to listen in as we talk about topics that pertain to girls, what's going on for them today, raising daughters in this world today. And I, I appreciate you stopping by because I think a lot of times these topics I talk about, there's a lot of confusion. For instance, I heard about this little boy. He's like four years of age. One day, he and his dad were walking on the beach, and they saw a dead seagull lying on the sand. And the boy got a kind of a sad look on his face. He turned to his dad. He said, he said, Daddy, what happened to the birdie? And his dad said, well, son, the bird died and went to heaven. The boy looked kind of confused, and he asked his dad, well, then why did God throw him back down? What I'm going to talk about today is anxiety. And I think there's lots of confusion about anxiety. I, it's a big topic, and so what I thought I'd do is take one piece of it for this podcast, and that piece is, is there anything that you as a mom or a dad might be doing that's contributing to or causing your daughter's anxiety? This is not to blame you for everything, but this is, there are some things I think that we do sometimes unconsciously that contribute to anxiety in our kids. I've been following some mental health stats for college-age men and women over the last 10 years or so. There's a uh, some statistics that come out every year. And a year ago, uh, the statistics were even more alarming than they have been in the last 10 years since COVID started. They talk. They ask questions. They survey, <clears throat> I think it's 86,000 college students. And they ask some questions about their lives and also about their mental health. And when they ask how many of them in the past 12 months had felt overwhelming anxiety, 72% said yes, they had. This is the women. When they asked these women, how many of you in the past 12 months have felt more than average to tremendous stress? 63% said yes. The boys' scores in all these mental health issues have always have been less, and appreciably less. So if the women's score is 72%, the men's score is more like 30 or 40%. And we know from lots of surveys and research that girls starting in about middle school have about four times the amount of anxiety as boys. So what are there things that you might be doing that contributes to your daughter's anxiety? I heard this girl one time say, I've been trying to put a finger on what's causing my anxiety, but my mom doesn't like to be touched. <laughs> so I do think we have a part. So let's go, let me delve into some of the ways that I think you might be doing that. And one of them is this. I think kids always tend to reflect the adults around them. So if I see a kid in my office practice, my counseling practice, who is angry, or there's a lot of sibling rivalry at home, 
one of the first things I do is I have parents point the finger at themselves and their marriage. Because if the parents are angry and crabby and impatient, or there's problems in their marriage and there's arguing and fighting, oftentimes it ends up showing up as kids being angry or more sibling sibling rivalry. And I think the same thing holds for anxiety. I think if kids are around parents who are anxious, a mom or a dad, or there's just anxiety uh, in the culture, I think kids absorb that and it ends up showing up as anxiety. And there's been a lot of anxiety in our culture the last several years because of COVID and other things, school shootings, uh, all kinds of uh, polarity in our politics, anger. I think kids hear that, they see it, they absorb it, and sometimes it ends up coming out as anxiety. I remember my old mentor, Dr. T. Barry Brazelton, who I studied with for a year in my final year of fellowship training in, in Boston. I remember him talking about how historically when things happen in the culture that are scary, uh, things like when JFK was assassinated, when that teacher uh, who uh, went up in the, in the spaceship and the spaceship exploded uh, and, the ast- and she was killed, when things happen like that, oftentimes kids kind of wait to express their emotions until after they've noticed what their parents are doing with it. So if they see their parents being really upset about something, whether it's a, a death in the family or whether it's a, the JFK assassination, etc., when they notice that their parents are struggling, a lot of times they'll hold on to their emotions for a while because unconsciously they don't want to overload their parents. But once a little bit of time goes by and their parents kind of settle down, then all of a sudden emotions come out of kids. So it might be a delayed reaction, if you will. I think that probably happened after 9-11. And there's all kinds of things in the news these days that that have been scary for kids. It's also true that a lot of adults today suffer from anxiety. It's been worse uh, since COVID. The amount of anxiety in girls has always been high, much higher than boys, as I mentioned earlier. And it's been ratcheted up another level since COVID. Now, does every anxious child have to have an anxious parent? No, that's not true. And in my experience of working with girls for over 30 years, many do have a parent who's anxious. And then it begs the question, nature versus nurture. Things like depression, anxiety can run in families. There's a genetic component. But I also think that kids can um, absorb some of the anxiety around them and it can cause them to have more worries than maybe they would have had if they had been around parents who didn't have anxiety. I interviewed Meg Jay, an author who wrote a book called Supernormal about a year ago. And the book is about all the different uh, adversities that kids face while growing up. And what she had found with her surveys was that more than two-thirds of kids in our country have faced a traumatic experience by the time they turned 16 years of age. Things like physical or emotional abuse, uh, being around parents who yell a lot, uh, witnessing domestic violence, That can cause kids to worry a lot. They may worry that their parents are going to hurt each other. I've had a lot of girls tell me that when their parents argue and fight. Even if their parents have never been physical, they worry about it. They worry that their parents might get divorced. Some of them might respond to to that kind of a thing in their home by, by being more anxious, more clingy. 
I also think, and I don't just think, I know it's true also from research, that when we've been around some really scary things in our lives, whether it's domestic violence, or maybe I've seen girls who have an older sibling who was in trouble a lot and doing drugs and screaming and yelling and lots of anger and fights with parents to the point where the police have been called. I think when kids have been around that kind of a thing, it causes their amygdala, the part of their brain that handles emotions and particularly fear and anxiety, it causes that part of their brain to be more sensitive and more easily triggered. So for instance, if, they, if they've been around a lot of yelling and fighting, they may be at school and then they hear someone raise their voice and immediately they get triggered with anxiety because they're worried about what might happen. It becomes kind of like an automatic response, if you will. I've also noticed that there are some kids who get anxious because of life events, adversity, or some of the other things I'm going to talk about in a moment. And when they do show those worries, or they show the anxiety, they get a lot of attention for it. And the parents start to talk to them more, and they worry about them, and they spend more time with them than the other siblings. And so all of a sudden, that, reactive, uh, that reaction becomes an adaptive way for them to attract more nurturing, more attention, more love, if you will. It oftentimes doesn't start out as a reason for anxiety, but it can add to it or become it. If parents give too much attention to fears, I, I read this someplace a long time ago. It was described as rather than turning down the volume on the worry track, they're actually causing the child to hear it in stereo with many more amps. So sometimes we give too much attention to kids' normal fears that they have growing up, and that amplifies it within the kids. Right around the age of about four, five, six years of age, there is a normal stage of development where kids do experience more fears. That's when kids become afraid of the dark, maybe if they're afraid of bees or dogs barking or clowns or Santa Claus. Um, and part of their job developmentally at that age is to acknowledge that those are fears and to overcome them on their own and not always need their parents to do it for them. That's a developmental step for them. If it causes anxiety in their parents and their parents end up spending too much time and too much worry and give too much attention to it, then it can become a more fixed problem. Here's another reason I think um, that uh, kids can get anxiety from their parents. I did a podcast a while back and I will, I will give the link to you in my show notes. I talked about the vulnerable child syndrome. And I talked about ghosts in the nursery. And that, what that meant was, if things happen in a, in, a, uh, in a parent's past that causes lots of emotion, and they don't handle it, and they don't um, put it to rest, if you will, then those emotions are still there, and sometimes they get triggered when we have our children. The ghosts in the nursery concept meant that, that those feelings and those old experiences can come back and haunt us in our parenting. The vulnerable child syndrome means if something happens uh, in the early going, i.e. trying to get pregnant, it might take you weeks, months, years to get pregnant, going through all the in vitro, etc. Or maybe there's problems during the pregnancy. Or maybe there's been some miscarriages. There's problems at the birth. If there's problems in those early months, especially with a child having illnesses or if a child has a hard time nursing and isn't gaining weight, if anything happens, especially in the early going, to cause the parents to worry about that kid, 
then oftentimes that can end up becoming an anxiety. It makes kids vulnerable to being treated and parented differently. I've seen kids who who had a hard time gaining weight in that first year of life because of lots of different reasons. And so there's lots of fear, lots of visits to the pediatrician, weighing them constantly. And I've seen kids at 6, 8, 10 years of age who are plump kind of kids whose parents are still worried they're not getting enough to eat. It's like this black cloud follows their kid around. There are some early worries, and those worries don't leave. So they're vulnerable to be being treated differently. And then that can, because the parents are worried, kids may absorb that, and then they become more worried. If a child was sickly in the early goings, and every time a child gets the sniffles or anything, the parents think, oh my God, this could be worse. They take him to the doctor over and over and over again. And again, kids pick up on that, and it can cause them to be more anxious. Sometimes parents cause anxiety in their kids because they see too much of themselves in their child. And they start to blend their story with their child's where it doesn't belong. One common example I've seen a lot in my counseling practice is is a a parent, and it's oftentimes a mom, who is pushing her daughter to be more interactive, pushing her daughter to be more outgoing, who thinks that her daughter is being too shy, and she's worried about her. And oftentimes there's a ghost in the nursery, meaning stories like the mom may have been shy when she was a kid, so shy to the point where she didn't have very many friends or felt left out and was lonely a lot. And there's a part of her way back in the day when she was feeling all that, when she said to herself, I will, if I have a kid someday, I do not want my kid to feel this. So now she has a daughter who might mimic some of her shyness. Maybe she's just a slow to warm kid temperamentally. But the mom brings a lot of emotion like, oh my gosh, I don't want my kid to be lonely. I have no friends. And so she pushes her daughter to be more outgoing when her daughter is just slow to warm. And that causes a daughter to feel like she's not good enough. And it causes her to feel more anxious and Thus, she oftentimes retreats further in her shell, which makes it worse. So we put our stories into our kids' story, and then it becomes overwhelming. You know, kids who are slow to warm, anxious, they have their own little battles to face in order to kind of blossom and bloom. But it's hard to do that if they're also carrying the weight of their parents' emotions and their parents' past history. Sometimes parents can contribute to their daughter's anxiety because they continually let their kids avoid scary situations. Their daughter's afraid to try out for a soccer team. Their daughter's afraid to do something. And so if we allow them to keep avoiding things over and over, we reinforce that it really must be a scary thing, and thus that thing should be avoided. We teach kids to avoid and escape instead of writing it out getting used to it, pushing through it, having slow but sure exposure to it. You know, most kids will find over time that what they've been worried about almost never has as much teeth as they thought. It's almost never as bad as they thought. But if they keep uh, avoiding things, then we build up more and more stories in their head and it becomes too big to overcome. And we give them this, this sense of you need to be worried about this as opposed to you can handle this. I think parents also need to watch how they talk to their kids. Some parents uh, become overly cautious. I did a recent podcast for you guys about the danger of stranger danger and how we have become 
way overprotective of our kids for undue reason. So if we're constantly telling our kids to be careful and we're constantly warning them about danger, then I think we can contribute to their anxiety about things. Pay attention to how often you give your child warnings and focus on helping them understand why something might be dangerous. Give them information, educate, but don't be so cautious that our kids pick up that the world is a scary place. They need to be at your side 24-7. And that's how a lot of kids feel today. I've got to have my parents right by me. Parents get worried if, if they text their daughter and their daughter doesn't answer immediately. It's almost like they're going to call the cops because, oh my God, something must have happened. I also think it goes the other way. I think a lot of times if kids text their parents and don't get an immediate response, their kids get worried because they become so dependent upon us to solve their problems and to be there for them at a time when they can probably take care of themselves instead. That also means to watch your tone of voice and your body language. There's a difference when our kids are going out the door to go down the street between saying, be careful with your voice all screwed up in this worried kind of look versus, hey, have fun, take care of yourself, let me know if you need anything. There's a difference in what you communicate. In the first way, when you're like, be careful, what you're communicating is something bad is probably going to happen out there. I think kids do better when their parents are warm and nurturing, but straightforward. How you talk to your kids is critical. Not to convey constantly that there's reasons for you to be scared out there, that the world is a dangerous place. Also, if you think your kids are not going to be able to cope and that they're going to need you to take care of stuff, your child will pick up on this and then they're going to conclude, I guess I can't, and then they're going to become overly dependent and oftentimes overly anxious about things. Here's a different way that parents sometimes uh, can contribute to their, their daughter's anxiety. They did a study not that long ago, several years ago, a couple years ago. They took about 500 middle school kids <clears throat> and they asked them to rank the things that their parents prioritized. And what they found was that these middle schoolers who thought that their parents valued achievement more than character had more problems, more mental health issues, um, more anxiety, more depression, more stress. If, on the other hand, kids said that their parents valued character more than achievement, those kids did better in school, had better mental health, less rule-breaking behavior. What's interesting, too, was that, they, that the kids who fared the worst reported having moms who placed a higher value on achievement than character and also moms who were critical. Isn't that interesting? So be careful what you focus on. When, they feel, when your kids feel like you over-focus on achievement, it causes more pressure on them. You get so focused on the, eff, uh, <clears throat> on the outcome instead of the effort. There's an entity called the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation who does research every year, does surveys. And it's interesting that they add a new item to environments that make it harder for teens to succeed in life. They have a whole list of things that put, puts teenagers at, at, at risk groups. And typically, most years, it's been things like living in poverty, 
having experienced trauma, racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, social media, being recent immigrants, having a parent who was incarcerated, but they add a new item a few years ago that they titled Excessive Pressure to Excel. They defined an excessive pressure to excel as an environment that was characterized by extreme pressure to succeed and to outdo everybody else. What they found was that can have really negative effects on kids, higher levels of stress. Those kids had higher usage of alcohol and drugs, more anxiety, more depression. They felt more pressure from their parents and coaches and school counselors in college. And anxiety can then result from worrying about keeping up with or outshining everybody else. And depression can arise because, because they're, they may fail to achieve or, or to meet people's expectations. So excessive pressure to excel, which is something that we end up and oftentimes putting on our children, that can cause them to be more anxious. Here's another one I've been talking about for a long time. And that is, don't mine for pain. Mine as an M-I-N-E. If you ask a lot of leading questions, you can oftentimes make kids feel more anxious than they need to. You know, so if, you're, if, you, if your kid comes home from school and says, how are your friends today? Did you get bullied? Did people leave you out again? Are you nervous because none of your best friends are going to be at camp with you? What is implied sometimes in those kinds of questions is, maybe I should be nervous. If I'm not nervous, my mom or dad's going to be disappointed. I've actually seen that a lot in families where, where a parent, because of their own anxiety, minds for pain, and, and they end up causing more in their kids where it isn't deserved and isn't necessary. Let me offer you one last way that I notice a lot that things that people are things that parents do that might cause their daughters to be more anxious. I do a role play. My wife and I do sometimes when we give talks where I'll have a, a parent, oftentimes a dad, come and sit on the floor in front of the group, and I'll give them a, a, a set of tinker toys, and I tell them, just make some toys, pretend you're a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, whatever, and then I sit, come and sit down, and I, and I handle them, or I, I'm with them in a couple different ways. The first way, I'm extremely controlling and critical. I tell them, no, not that way. I get my hands in there. I start doing it for them. Then I stop and I ask, how do you think you'd feel if you were a kid and your dad treated you like this? And one of the ways that kids feel when their dads or moms treat them that way is that they may feel like they're not good enough. They may may feel sad. They may feel more anxious, angry. And anxious because they feel like they're never going to be able to measure up. They can never do it right. They have to be perfect. Otherwise, their their parent gets angry. And I think that comes with what people call the authoritarian style of parenting. The style of parenting where people, parents use a lot of punishments, a lot of yelling, spanking, uh, grounding. Those are the go-to strategies to correct kids' behavior. And there's less warmth and connection between the child and the parent. Kids can then re- feel uh, less safe making mistakes because they're worried about their mom or dad overreacting, overcorrecting them, or being critical. So there's more anxiety about doing anything. You have to be perfect. You have to do it just right. I see a lot of kids who growing up in homes where it's that kind of parenting who end up with anxiety. Some of the kids have less anxiety and more anger. 
They become rebels. They become oppositional because they're because some kids react by just saying, you know what, you can't make me. I'm not putting up with this. And then they, they end up rebelling against everything. If you said, here's a million dollars, they'd say, I don't want it. But the anxiety part I see a lot because their kids are so worried about pleasing their parents, not disappointing their parents, or not triggering their parents' anger. So, what's a parent to do? I heard a story one time about this tree who had been filled with anxiety, and the tree decided to go see a psychologist. And the tree said to, the, to this counselor, I don't know what to do. Every year I feel really anxious during the fall and the winter. The psychologist said, hmm, that's really interesting. And how do you feel when spring comes? And the tree smiled and said, relieved. Get it? Relieved? L-E-A-V-E-D. Anyway, um, so what can you do to help relieve your child's anxiety? But most importantly, so that you're not becoming someone who might be initiating or causing some of it. Probably first and foremost is to be aware if any of the above things I just talked about fit for you. And learn to redirect yourself. Take care of your part. Which may involve for some people going to counseling. Taking care of old issues. It might require you to go to a parenting class. And learn how to do a different style of parenting. So you're not so critical. You don't use yelling. You don't use anger, etc. To try and get your kids to do what you want them to do. You need to clean it up. If there's a vulnerable child syndrome thing or a ghost in the nursery... Those are normal feelings that we have when we've been through issues and adversity, trying to get pregnant or getting pregnant or when their baby's born. It's okay, but take care of it. Take care of those emotions. Reframe it so that you're not bringing them to your parenting. Also, you can help educate your kids about anxiety. Anxiety and worries are really a protection that our, our brain has. I teach girls this in my retreats and my summer camps and my office practice a lot, that when our amygdalas get triggered and we start getting anxious, it's just our brain saying, you know what, I'm sensing something that might be a problem. There could be some danger, there could be a threat, so check it out. I equate it with the smoke alarm in your house. When the smoke alarm goes off, we usually don't quickly call the fire department and run outside screaming. What we do is we check it out. Sometimes it goes off because the battery's low. Sometimes we, we, uh, it goes off because someone left the oven door open or someone's frying some bacon or, or there's a piece of burnt toast in the toaster. So we don't freak out and overreact. We remind ourselves it's just a warning. That's all. I just need to check it out. I also use the analogy of if you have a dog at home, if they start barking and running to the front door, you don't usually call 911. You usually don't call the police. What you do is you look out the window and say, hmm, what's going on? Oh, it's a FedEx truck. Or, oh, somebody's walking their dog across the sidewalk. So our worry brain is actually there to protect us. It's programmed to react, to take care of us, in case there might be a danger or a threat. And that was really important thousands of years ago when it was much more dangerous, more uncivilized. It's not quite as uh, dangerous in our world today for many of us. It is for some kids. But sometimes our our amygdala overreacts and tells us there's a problem when there really isn't. It tells us there's some danger when there's really not. So our job is going to be to to teach our daughters that when your amygdala gets triggered, when you start getting a little anxious, to stop and say, I know what's happening. 
my amygdala is being triggered, which I usually call Amy for kids because it's hard to say amygdala. It's okay. I, I actually tell girls, thank your amygdala. Say, thank you for warning me. Now, let me check it out and see if there's anything for me to really be worried about. What's the truth in this moment? I heard about a young woman one time who had been dumped for about the fifth time by her boyfriend. And she said to herself, well, maybe if I fall in love with my anxiety, it will leave me too. And anxiety may not just disappear when you start to recognize it and acknowledge it. But you'll change your child's relationship to it. They'll probably be less worried, less reactive to those false alarms. I saw a quote by Mark Twain that said, I lived through a thousand tragedies, none of which actually happened. And that's true for most of us. The things oftentimes that we worry about, that we ruminate about, we ruminate worst case about, oftentimes don't even happen. Or something happens, but it wasn't that big a deal and we handled it just fine. I also teach girls a story about about lions and how they sometimes hunt in Africa. Where if there's a herd of gazelle sitting there eating in a field, the young female and male lions go downwind of the gazelle, hiding in the brush, and upwind the oldest male lion in the pride. He sits there, weak, can't run, has no teeth, but he can still roar with the best of them. So when the young lions are all set up, he sits up and he roars and he roars and he roars. The gazelle hear him, they smell him, and they run away from him right into the teeth of the young lions and they all get eaten up. The end. And the moral of the story is, in your life, when you hear the roar, i.e. feel your fear, the tendency is to avoid things, to run away from it. And then you tend to get eaten up by your fears. If you avoid a situation one time or two times or several times, you can end up making a bigger and bigger story about why you have to avoid it, even if it's not true, which oftentimes it's not. So the moral of the story is when you hear the roar and feel your fear, instead of running away from it and avoiding the situation, go towards it and through it because it almost never has as much teeth as you thought. Great analogy. I tell girls because they're 12 or 15 or 17 or whatever age, I tell them, if you think back to your life, you're old enough now to have experienced being all worked up about something, anxious, anxiety, and then when the time came, what you were worried about didn't even happen, or something small happened and you dealt with it. And that is then part of their mantra the next time they get anxious to say, you know what, I've been here, I've done that, it's okay. I'm just, it's just a story in my head. I don't need to give it credence. I don't need to believe it. Tell your kids this story. Have them listen to this podcast. And anytime they start getting anxious about something coming up, tell them, I understand that, that you have some worries about this. It's okay. Thank your amygdala and go for the roar. Sometimes we can contribute to our, our daughter's anxiety because like, they'll want to talk about things. And the most common times some girls want to talk about the things that they're worried about is about 10 o'clock at night when you're tired and they're tired and they need to go to bed. But they, it's an inappropriate way for some kids to get you in their bedroom for an hour at the end of the day. So I want you to be there. I want you to listen to your kids. But I think you, could, you can create some quote unquote worry times. Maybe set up a time uh, and a length of time to spend uh, t- talking about their worries. It might be that you say, let's go after dinner and take a walk with the dog. and We can talk about stuff then. 
what you don't want is to end up listening and listening and the kid gets more and more upset. Then you get upset and then an hour goes by like, oh my gosh, this is not, this is not being very productive. Also, during the day, if, if kids are worried, but it's not the time to, to talk about worries yet, tell them, you know, make them, have them think about having like a worry box with a lid. So just put the worries in the box, close the lid, and then later on when we have our time, that's when you can open up the box so we can talk about it. You kind of help your child compartmentalize their worries to a certain time of day. And then oftentimes, too, for kids, by the end of the day, the worry's gone. It's not that big anymore or it's gone. So you're saying, I love you. I care about you. I know sometimes you have worries, but I'm not going to allow myself to add to it by giving it too much credence and too much of my own worry. I also would reward their um, behaviors when they cope. Not reward like a reward, but like acknowledge, affirm. If you notice them taking care of themselves, if you notice them having some quiet time, uh, doing some journaling, ex- uh, expressing their, their, their fears and anxieties through a drawing or a painting or a story, I would acknowledge them for that. Let them know that you really appreciate that they're, devel- they're developing some good problem-solving skills and they're learning to take care of themselves. I've talked in a previous podcast about self-compassion. And one of the components of self-compassion is when you're anxious about something is, or you're upset about something or you're worried about something is to imagine if someone you loved is in your head that you totally trust. It might be your dad, your mom, your best friend. Imagine that they're in your head and then you say to yourself, I wonder what my mom or my dad or my best friend would say right now about what I'm worried about. And then listen in your mind to what they would say and then say it to yourself. I read in a book somewhere one time, I can't remember where, I wish I did, but uh, the author had talked about assembling a mental health board of directors of people you trust. People who really know you, they have your best interests in mind, and you run the worried thoughts you have by them. What would they say is the truth? What would they say to do? It could be very healthy for your kids to learn to do that, whether it's having one person in their mind or having a mental board of directors. If you're an adult parent who's struggling with your own anxiety, I'd be very deliberate and conscious about managing your stress and your distress and your fears. As you learn healthy coping skills and strategies, you can let your your daughter know what you're doing to take care of yourself. Those are things that she might end up picking up on as well. It might help her to learn to manage her own. If you can learn to manage your anxiety so you're not bringing it to your daughter, that will help a lot. So in conclusion, there are a lot of reasons why girls get anxious. And one reason they sometimes get anxious is because we contribute to it. So I want to make sure that you can remove all those sorts of things from the equation. Your kids have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. There's stresses and pressures and there's drama at school with their friends and there's pressures from teachers and grades and getting into college and and select sports teams. There's all kinds of things that they have to learn to deal with. So what I don't want is for you to add to that pie with your piece. So take care of it. Think about the things I've talked about in this podcast. And if if any of them ring true, if any of them resonate, then take care of it. Do it different. And if you do that, I think you'll notice that your daughter's anxiety will go down
Thanks so much for tuning in every week to these podcasts. Always feel free to pass them on. I always appreciate that. I will put a couple links in the show notes and on my website of some things you can look for, including that Meg J podcast that I did about a year ago. Thanks so much for stopping by. I will see you back here as always in a week.